welcome. My name is Mary Prashett. I'm a founder of Accessibility and your host. I'd like to thank you for joining me today at the intersection of disability and politics. The road ahead can be a bumpy one, so buckle up and watch navigate this journey together. Welcome back. Ready to find out where this conversation goes? Good. Then buckle up and let's go. Talk to me about being deaf and Jewish and queer and all of those intersections, but mainly about being deaf and Jewish because we always talk about in the Christian world, what it's like to be disabled growing up in the church. So tell me what it was like or what it is like to be deaf and Jewish. Sure. So in the Jewish community, we don't really do a lot of that, like the, the moral the morality that's often assigned to disability doesn't really exist in the Jewish community and Jewish belief. So I haven't, I've had to deal with a lot of that like proselytizing and saviorism from Christian people, um, but I've never really had to deal with it from Jewish people. That's just not a part of, of Jewish tradition. You know, we don't go out and we don't proselytize. We don't try and convert people. And so I think because of that, there's a lot more acceptance of disability and it's never seen as something that needs to be cured. That being said, that doesn't mean there aren't massive barriers. And the Jewish community is so community-based. So much of our practice is, is around people gathering and us telling our stories. You know, my favorite holiday is Passover. And it is a, it's a huge, massive dinner where everyone gathers and we retell the story of how they tried to kill us and they didn't. But it's all communication-based which as a deaf person that directly impacts my ability to understand what's going on. And so while I've never dealt with the savior, the, the curing aspect that I've gotten from, from Christianity, I have dealt with the fact that Jewish community is community-based. And because of that, I don't have access. And I was very much involved in the Jewish community in Halal and Chabad in college and had a lot of trouble trying to be a part of anything because, you know, the ADA doesn't apply to churches or to religious aspects because of the so-called separation of church and state, right? And so because of that, you know, houses of, of worship or whatever it is are not required to follow the ADA. So they don't have to provide interpreters if they don't want to. And oftentimes I've run into that. Or, you know, being in a group of Jews who say, you know, we care about everyone being here and yet I'm sitting there all alone and nobody's told me what's going on kinds of things. That's that's the biggest and most hurtful thing for me is is how much we value community, but we don't actually show up for everyone in the community. And that's not just disabled Jews. That's black Jews. That's brown Jews. That's queer Jews that don't get seen in the community when community is the foundation of what we are. And that's really unfortunate. One of my most favorite things that you do that I love is when you 
sign the book about Passover. I love when you do that. Talk to me about what made you want to sign that book. When I when I signed the matzah that Papa brought home, oh yes. my gosh. Well, it is my favorite, favorite book. My mom always read it. Again, my family is a little bit different. My mom is the, is the matriarch. Uh, my dad was a stay-at-home dad in the 90s, which is very different than most people. Yeah. Um, and my mom went to work. My dad retired and stayed home and my mom went to work. So my mom's always been the breadwinner. She's always been like the head of the family. And so she's always led our Passover seders, um, which is a little bit different than what mostly happens in the Jewish community is Julius Malin. Um, so I just make a point of mentioning that. Anyways, uh, that was my, my mom loves to make voices, do voices. And so she got this book. She found this book, The Masa That Papa Brought Home, which is a repetitive story, that kind of story where they add a line and then you repeat the whole thing. And she used to read it every year growing up. She would read the matzah that Papa brought home and she would do these big voices and then we'd have a whole thing. Um, there were parts where me and my sister Jackie would chime in and add things, you know, like all 10. We dip our pinkies again and again and kinds of things like that. And it became a whole family thing. And then I was living in Colorado and hadn't had been able to have Passover with my family for several years. And I was just very sad about it. And so I decided that I wanted to sign it because it was a perfect book to sign. It's got the repetition. And so you can, you can use that really well with sign language. And so I worked really hard on it. I probably spent all day filming that, that one video that was just one book, but it meant so much to me to, and I had so many Jewish people tell me that they had shown it to their kids and that they had read this book with their kids and they finally had a version to show in a different language. But then they also had some people reach out that they had a Jewish deaf child and that this gave them the first opportunity for their kid to see a book about a Jewish tradition in sign language. And it just meant the world to me. And so I eventually want to redo it and like make a little bit, a little bit of a nicer version and do some more Jewish books. But that was the inspiration behind it was just this book is so meaningful to me in my childhood. And I don't see any other Jewish books being interpreted into sign language. And I want to do that from a place of my heart. Well, if you have not seen the video, I'm going to link it in the show notes so that you can watch the video. I love watching it. It's amazing, and it's just a, a fun video to watch. Um, on a more serious note, how has society's attitude surrounding COVID affected your mental health? Because we talk about non-disabled people's mental health during a pandemic, but we have not talked about the mental health of our community. And it is so important that we do that. So talk about how it affected your mental health. Sure. So um, caveat and disclaimer that my pandemic experience has been 
A very interesting experience and not a typical experience of most people. Um, I had to leave a toxic and abusive relationship and move across state lines and live temporarily at my sister's house. So I think my mental health around the pandemic has definitely been impacted by my personal things as well as the pandemic itself. But I will say that I think the biggest thing that has impacted my mental health around the pandemic is the masks. As a deaf person, the masks are so hard for me to have any sort of access to information. And I feel like all these people that don't want to wear masks, I'm like, if I can wear a mask as a deaf person, and that is taking away all of my access to communicate with people when I already have very little, you can wear a mask for a minute when you go into the store to go grocery shopping. And also the lack of understanding around the masks, right? Like I'm out in public getting food and I have had people be so physic so much more physically aggressive to me since the, the, the wearing of the masks because I don't know that somebody's even talking to me, right? Um, with my cochlear implant, trying to go out in public with the masks and communicate with new people is pretty much impossible and creates more mental distress trying to figure out, is this person talking to me? I catch like one or two words out of an entire like three sentences that they've said. Now I'm just like freaking out and I can't do it. So it's easier for me to just completely not wear my CI and be completely deaf. But that also means I hear absolutely nothing. And I've had people push me and shove me with grocery carts and start yelling at me because I couldn't hear, because I couldn't even tell that they were talking to me because of the masks. Um, and when you know, as a deaf person, every time you leave the house, it's always anxiety, a lot of mental work about anytime you come up to a person, what, how are you going to communicate with them? And now you have the barrier of not being able to see anything on their face. It makes it so much worse. And so I, I just have such a hard time going out in public alone just to go grocery shopping because I am so scared of being physically touched by people and the things that could happen because of that. Um, we want to talk about the masks that were clear that some people were, were using, but at the same time, those were not medical-grade masks. So while they were providing access, they want to protection against COVID. Would you like to comment about that? Yeah, well, and they don't work. The, the clear masks fog up very quickly. Yeah, and so what I've seen happen is people will wear the clear masks, they'll get all foggy, and then they'll take a tissue and wipe the inside and then like put the tissue on the table. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, that's the antithesis of the purpose of wearing a mask. You just took everything that was inside the mask and now it's on the table, which as a germaphobe, that freaks me out. And like COVID aside, that is so gross. <laughs> and so like, yeah, they're not medical grade. Um, there are a few that they do have some really great ones that don't fog, um, but they're these full on 
things and they're pretty expensive. They're like $50 each. I've seen a lot of, um, yeah, I've seen a lot of SLPs in the education field using them because SLPs have to be up close in person. There's a lot of like, look at my mouth and types of things. So I've seen those being used. And those are the only ones that are both medical grade and also work. But aside from that, you're right. The casual ones don't work very well. And then they're not medical grade. So as a deaf person who at times is immune compromised when I'm taking medicines for my chronic illness, that's kind of terrifying. Can you tell the audience what an SLP is? Oh, yes. SLP is a speech and language pathologist. I apologize using disability speak. (laughs) Thank you. I know and you know what it is, but the average person may not know what that is. As we wrap up, what is a message that you have for the non-disabled community? And I want you to be honest in yourself and we're not... I don't want you to hold back. Whatever you want to say, feel free. Say it however you want to. What's a message to the non-disabled community from you? I would say the thing that I want non-disabled people to know is that disabled people are perfect. Disabled people are beautiful. Disabled people are worthy of love and appreciation just because they are human. But disabled people are worthy of love and appreciation and beauty, even more so because we deal with all of the bullshit that non-disabled people put in our ways. And we are so fucking brilliant that we find ways around it and we still love and show up for each other in the most amazing ways. And so not only are we wonderful and beautiful and worthy of love and access and everything and beautiful, enriched, enlightened lives because we're human, but we're worthy of fucking more than that because we are humans that deal with this on a daily basis. And we still, for the most part, live in love and love each other and show up for each other in communal care and all of these amazing ways that the disability justice community has built for us because nobody else gives a shit. And so the non-disabled people should learn something from us and know that we are beautiful and perfect because we are disabled. I love you. I love everything about you. I knew that your message was going to be perfect, and it was. Our community has been holding each other up for two years now, and it's been difficult. And that's why I started this podcast. I wanted to amplify voices like yours, and so many others that don't get a platform. I mean, in what world would someone like me with impaired speech have a podcast that's like unheard of, like unprecedented? And I wanted to break a lot of barriers. And one of them was 
having someone who was deaf on my podcast because the average person would wonder how would that work? How could you have a deaf person on a podcast? And I remember texting you and saying, how can we make this accessible to you? And you have always included me and you have always made me feel seen and heard. And, you know, you have been doing this work long before the pandemic. Don't cut yourself short that we've only been propping each other up for two years. Mary, you have been in this. It's just the last two years have been some serious, nobody else cares about us. But we have been doing this work and you especially have been doing this work long before we met long before COVID ever happens. And we worked on things before all of this, you know? And it has been amazing to build a friendship with you as a speech disabled person and a deaf disabled person. We talked about this one time like two years ago that was like, who would ever thought that we would love each other the way that we do? And exactly, like Fox Society's expectations of us. I love you. And it's, it's wonderful. And we have a great relationship and we text or we've, we've done Zoom where we've had the interpreters. And I really wanted you to hear my voice today because a lot of times I feel like interpreters don't voice correctly for me. I am very intentional about the way I say things. And so I wanted to speak today to, to have that direct clarity happening. But even outside of that context, you and I have never had an issue communicating. I love you. I'm so honored that you picked me and your platform to share your voice. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. Always. I Like I said, I wouldn't do anything for you. Kisses to Mary. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Politics of Disability podcast. I can never get your journey. Remember, disability is political. Disability is messy. Disability is not powerful, nor does it have to be.